Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Buried Motives. We're glad you're joining us. Mother's Day is coming up. Mother's Day is. And we hope all the mothers out there have a wonderful day. We know how hard you work and we hope that you feel loved and appreciated. Because you deserve it. Absolutely. And thanks to all the women who maybe don't have children of their own, but still have a mothering role. So to all our female listeners, celebrate your womanhood this coming Sunday. Live it up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm assuming you have a Mother's Day case for us. I do. I, I did knew men- it. <laughs> well, I did mention it last week. <laughs> I paid attention last week. That's then. right. You pass. You get a point. <laughs> but I do. I do have a Mother's Day case. But first of all, happy Mother's Day, Mom. Have to put that in there. <laughs> in celebration of Mother's Day, today we are covering a matricide, which is the killing of one's mother. As horrific as this is, I felt it was maybe easier to hear than some of the cases I did look at involving a mother who kills her children. Because I was trying to decide which way do I go, children who kill a mother or a mom who kills her kids. It's always hard to hear about kids getting killed, so I'm glad you took that take. Me too. But there were some disturbing cases the other way around. Oh, there are so many, actually. Mm -hmm. Killing one's mother is more common than killing one's father, but it is still considered very rare in comparison to all the other murders that occur. On average, five parents are murdered by one of their children every week in the United States. What? Yeah. I would not have guessed that it was that much. I wouldn't either. I was actually surprised. And that's a small number. Like, this is very rare that it occurs. But yeah, on average, five parents a week. And mothers more than fathers. And mothers more than fathers. Is that just because there's more opportunity because moms are around more? Probably. That would be my guess. Mm -hmm. And how many of our murderers have issues with their mommies? Oh, absolutely. I've got a case coming up just like that. (laughs) Listeners, beware. Our case today is unique in the fact that our victim isn't killed just by one of her children. Sadly, she is murdered by both of her teenage daughters. And the real surprising part is that these daughters just so happen to be twins, making this murder extremely unique. Oh, this is a good debate then. It is. Are they identical twins? They are identical twins. So their genetic makeup is the same. Exactly. Which we will talk about a little bit. Okay. You have piqued my interest. Good. That was my whole plan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start my case a little differently this time. I usually like to start with the dirtbag's birth and follow the story in a sequential order. But this time, we're going to briefly start on the day of the murder and then jump back to the start. Oh, you're taking a page out of my book. I was like, I'm pulling a Melissa because <laughs> that's what you like to do. So I'm going to try it out today and see how that goes. Sometimes I'm so random. I just got to tell you all the details and then I'll go back and tell you the boring stuff. But I think it will help with how this case actually unfolded in real life. Mm. On January 13th, 2010, a police officer was driving down a quiet road in the Bridge Ridge Walk subdivision of Conyers, Rockdale County, Georgia, in the good old U.S. of A., Nothing seemed out of the ordinary until two teenage girls suddenly came running out onto the street to stop the marked car. Officer Chris Moon stops. The two girls are hysterical, screaming out about their mom being dead inside the house. They sputter out words like, dead, mom, blood. 
After entering the house on 2020 Appaloosa Way, Lieutenant Chris Moon said, quote, It was the bloodiest scene I think I've ever been to. As soon as you opened the door, you could smell the blood, the copper iron smell in the air, mm. which is just not a pleasant smell. When I used to work labor and delivery, it was a very distinctive smell. Yeah, blood mm -hmm. really does have that smell to it. And it's a good way, that copper smell, mm -hmm. to describe it. I've seen the crime scene photos and it is a lot. It is always shocking when you see those crime scene photos to be like, there is that much blood in a person that came out. Yeah, and spread out everywhere. Yeah. Lieutenant Moon searched the home and found a 34-year-old woman deceased, full of stab wounds, laying in a blood-filled bathtub, fully submerged. Submerged in blood or submerged in water? There, it was both. Okay. Yeah, there was water in the tub, but it was super bloody. Ooh. The identical twin girls told the police that they had just arrived home from school and found their mother amongst the horrific crime scene. The teenage sisters were visibly distraught. All the officers felt horrible for what they had supposedly just experienced. They caringly took the girls to the local police station to make statements, and it was there that the sweet, innocent facade of the killer duo would start to unravel and police would become suspicious. So during their first statement, the police are already on to them? Yep. They're not good actors then. Well, no, they're not good actors, but they do act it up. Yeah. And I'm going to walk you through that in a minute. They're not believable actresses. No. But had they toned it down a bit, maybe there wouldn't have been suspicion right away on them. They overacted. They overacted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now that we've gone to the murder day, we're going to go back to the beginning, but not just the twins beginning. Since they are only 16, I felt like it was important to shed some light on what happens even prior to their births. My reason for this is because these two girls would be the third generation of women in trouble with the law. Ooh. So mom and grandma have a history. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. But we're going to start even before mom and grandma with great grandma, their great grandmother, Della Fraser. Della would end up raising three generations of girls, all of them giving her a run for her money. The chaos starts with Della giving birth to a daughter whom she named Linda. Linda's last name is Whitehead, but I'm not sure if that was her father's name or from a marriage, but I'm assuming it was through her own marriage. Della had three children in total, a son and another daughter. Trouble was no stranger to Linda growing up. She eventually ended up going to prison on drug possession charges. Linda was pregnant at the time and gave birth to her own daughter while incarcerated in a Georgia prison on April 18th, 1975. Oh, and here we see dysfunction just breeds dysfunction. Yeah. She named her daughter Jarmeka Yvonne Whitehead, but everyone called her Nikki. What? Yeah, I'm not sure how, but it's Jarmeka Yvonne Whitehead, but she goes by Nikki on all accounts. So that's how I'll refer to her. This baby girl, Nikki, took her first breath inside a prison and would ultimately grow up to be the woman brutally murdered in her own home almost 35 years later. So she had a rough start and a rough end. Because Linda was in prison when Nikki was born, Della agreed to raise her granddaughter. From all accounts, it seemed like Nikki would pretty much stay living with her grandmother throughout her childhood. I didn't find any sources supporting the idea that Nikki ever lived with her mother, Linda. Nikki would grow up rebellious, just like her mother had. She was described as a wild child. Well, she grew up in the same house as her mother, and so the environment probably didn't change. No, or I don't know if you inherit those obstinate attitudes either. But she would pretty much just come and go as she pleased. But coming up, I will challenge that thought about it being the parenting style. Okay. Yeah. I think it was more the child. There is a study of epigenetics 
that say trauma that happens in one generation actually continues for seven generations after that. Right. So your trauma that you experience, you then pass on in your genetic makeup, in the receptors that are expressed in your brain to the next generations. I have learned a little bit about that multi-generational trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some of that going on here. Yeah. Della did try to keep her in line, but to no avail. At the age of 17, Nikki ended up pregnant with no one to help her, but her grandmother, Della. Finding out that you're pregnant as a teenager would be challenging to say the least, Mm -hmm. but to find out you're pregnant with twins would be even more daunting. Oh, that would be awful. Mm -hmm. And Nikki was not ready to be a mother. Again, Della stepped up and agreed to help. Della had been a caregiver her entire life. Her own mother experienced a nervous breakdown when Della was only 12 years old. And so Della had to grow up sooner than she should have. And this poor lady, my heart just breaks for her throughout this entire case because she's trying to hold it together for the generation behind her and the three generations ahead of her. That sounds awful. Mm -hmm. And when you're always in survival mode, you don't ever get a chance to develop any really good coping mechanisms. No, I just think bless her because honestly. (laughs) On November 27th, 1993, Nikki gave birth to identical twin girls, Jasmiah Kanisha Whitehead and Tasmiah Janisha Whitehead. They were nicknamed Jazz and Taz, and so that's how I'll refer to them. Oh, but are I, they going to be like the Tasmanian Devil? Well, yeah, honestly, <laughs> Jazz and Taz. And I just thought, can you imagine how hard it would be to keep identical twins sorted with names so similar? No. Even like school teachers, like Jazz, Taz, how would you keep them straight? Jazz and Taz lived consistently with their great-grandmother for the first 12 years of their lives. So with their great-grandmother. With their Yeah, so they're with Della. Della was Nikki's grandmother, and so now she's these twin girls' great-grandmother. And is Nikki involved in their life as well? Not a lot right now. Nikki actually moved to Conyers, Georgia, I believe around 32 kilometers or 20 miles away. So she just kind of hands over her two twins to this great-grandmother. Yeah, brand new baby girl twins to Nikki's grandmother, which was the baby's great-grandmother. She wanted to go live with her boyfriend. She was still living and enjoying a partying lifestyle at the time. So... Here, Grandma, can you just raise my kids for me? And she does. Della said about Nikki, quote, Nikki was a person who liked to go and she stayed gone all the time. And she got in the wrong lifestyle. She started doing drugs and drinking and got in with the wrong people. Della supported the twins financially. And it sounded like Nikki only appeared in their lives sporadically. That's hard. Yeah. Kids. Della said, quote, I was raising her and her children, which is a lot to put on one woman. Especially after raising your own three children. Yeah. And taking care of your mother. I can't imagine what it would be like to parent again little people. Like at the age that I'm at now. Would be hard enough. Would be hard enough. But to then do it as a grandparent to do little people And then a great grandparent? No, that would be so difficult. Yeah, I couldn't find a date of birth for her. But by what it sounded like, she would have been well into her 80s by the time this case takes place. Wow. Mm -hmm. So she was taking care of infants in her 60s. So I can't imagine taking care of infants at that age. No, that takes a special kind of woman for yeah. sure. And this is where I challenge your original thought about the parenting because the twins did exceptionally well while living with Della. Okay. I honestly feel like we wouldn't be discussing them right now if they had been able to just stay with their great grandma. Third time's a charm, I guess. Yeah. One source said that Della was married and so her husband was there to help, but there is little to no information about any of the fathers in this case. It's like the men don't exist. Mm. So this is really just a Mother's Day case. All I could find out is that Della's husband, so the girl's great-grandfather, 
died in 2009, the year prior to the murder. However, I can't completely confirm this, but still I felt it important to at least mention. Well, it might lead into some of the upheaval that they're feeling leading into the murder. I don't know what happens yeah. next, but... It could have. It could have added yeah. to their stresses, for sure. Jazz and Taz were extremely bright and were straight-A honor roll students oh, with wow. dreams of attending Harvard one day. They were very active. They took many lessons, including tennis, music, and ballet. They were both also members of the Girl Scouts. Both twins were respectful, loving, thoughtful, and sweet. Essentially just really good kids. So Della had done a great job raising them thus far. So what happened? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> That's quite the contrast between right? the two that you said before were these big actors. Oh, yeah. It takes a turn. And I honestly feel like if they could have just stayed with Della, they probably would have graduated and went off to probably Harvard with the grades that they had. Wow. Or whatever Ivy League school they wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. As Jazz and Taz neared the age of 13, Nikki started to make changes in her own life in hopes of having her daughters come and live with her. She dreamed of them all being one big happy family. Do you think she was watching her daughter's examples? Well, I don't know. I just think that she felt like, now I'm ready. You know, like now she's in her 30s, she's ready to settle down and have her family. So she had matured enough then by that point. Yeah. Nikki started to date a man 30 years her senior. Robert Head was a truck driver and more established. Some speculate that she got together with him to better her chances of getting her girls back one day. Oh, she was plotting and scheming. Maybe, but it did sound like they had a long-term relationship. Like they lived together for quite a while, but I don't know if that played a factor because she'd been living this partying lifestyle. And then if she's finding this man 30 years older than her, who, you know, has a good job and house and all that kind of stuff, right? She's going to have a better chance of getting her girls back. Had they been signed over to her grandmother? To Nikki's grandmother, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to Della. In 2007, when Jazz and Taz were 13, Nikki applied for custody of her daughters and her request was granted. The girls moved to Conyers to live with their mother and her boyfriend. This is the moment when the Whitehead twins' lives would go down a totally different trajectory. If you could pinpoint a moment in time where it all went wrong, this is your time. And how often does that happen? I know. Upheaval in childhood is never good. And 13? Such a crazy age to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when they're doing so well. So Nikki, having her daughters move in with her, would essentially put her death in motion. Nikki wanted to get this parenting thing right and started to implement household rules. She feared the girls turning out the way she did and genuinely wanted them to have all the things that she didn't have growing up. However, this was a little too late in the minds of Tasmaya and Jasmaya Whitehead. They viewed Nikki's mothering as hypocritical. They knew about their mother's wild lifestyle and felt it unfair for her to forbid them doing things that she had done herself. I also feel like because of the tumultuous life that Nikki led, it made her hypervigilant and aware of all the choices her daughters were making. I think she did have pure intentions, but I can understand why this didn't go over well with the twins. Yeah, I get it. But then at the same time, I see it from the parents' point of view of been like, I don't want you to make the same mistakes. I want to protect you from the mistakes I made. And so you would be able to pick up on those instances or those choices that they're making that would lead them down bad roads because you had been on them yourself. Right. But they weren't making those choices initially living with Della. Right. So why is she having to put her foot down so much at her house? She's a brand new parent, essentially. Right. And we know what first time parents are like. So I'm assuming she's being a little bit of a helicopter mom and she's being hypervigilant. She's putting in all these extra rules, like she had all these dating rules and cell phone rules and all these different things going on. And the girls are going to fight back 
Yeah, nothing makes teenagers rebel more than bringing the fist down. Right. This is also the time at age 13 when hormones would be taking over her young teenage daughters. And anyone who has parented a teenage girl knows that this can be a trying time for a girl, let alone for two. And their mother. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that this may have escalated the situation. 13 can be a hard age at the best of times, let alone when your entire world has been changed without you really having a say in the matter. Yeah, that's so true. Jazz and Taz would fight with their mother, and eventually those fights would become physical. In true twin fashion, the girls always stuck together, and it would be two against one during these conflicts. The twins started to spiral. Their grades dropped, and their attitudes soured. They entered high school and started to rebel. They clearly resented their mother. This behavior was such a drastic change from how they had behaved while living with Della. So it always makes me curious, why isn't there a checkup on kids that are granted custody with another guardian? Because they were doing well before we switched them and with making allowances for some growing pains, obviously this isn't going well. It's not. And people will become aware long before the murder. Oh, really? Yeah, that things are not going well. And so why not give them a choice of do you want to continue with your mom or go back to Grandma Della's? Right. Their voices are not heard during this account at all. You know how feisty people can get when they don't feel like they're being heard. Yeah, it's a human right. You want to feel heard. Yeah. You want your voice to matter. At this time, Nikki started to believe that the girls were doing drugs and had become sexually active. And they were on a wild path, so that totally could have been the case. Things escalated after an incident when Nikki took away Taz's cell phone and a time when Jazz had snuck out to be with her much older boyfriend. Oh, Again, they felt like Nikki was being a hypocrite for not wanting the girls to date older boys when she herself was with a man who was decades older. Yeah, I can see how they would think it was hypocritical, but at the same time, like, oh, she's just trying to protect you from mistakes. I know. This is one of those cases where I can really see both sides mm. of how it all happens. I feel like Nikki's got good intentions, and I can see how the girls would be feeling like their lives are turned upside down. Yeah. Nikki was trying her best, but she was quickly losing control of her daughters and resorted to calling the cops when things would get bad and when she didn't know what else to do. So the cops are being called multiple times. But they probably can't do anything. Well, police could. If you're always having a domestic violence calls coming in, kids could be apprehended, right? Yeah. But they don't. But what are the police going to do if you're, my kid snuck out with her boyfriend? What are they going to do? Well, they're starting to get into physical altercations and stuff too right now, right? Or if my child snuck out and hasn't come home, she's going to call my child's missing, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. And she's just a brand new parent, like I said, and she's jumping into teenagers. So she probably didn't know what else to do. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And so I just feel bad for everyone involved. But I feel for Nikki, who had worked hard to turn her life around and just wanted to be a part of her children's lives. To make this situation worse, Nikki's mother, Linda began to put a wedge between Nikki and her grandmother, Della. It seemed like Linda perhaps regretted not raising her own daughter and didn't want to see the same thing happen to Nikki. Della spent her life serving all of these women, and it seemed like such a slap in the face. Yeah, what issue did she have with her own mom? I don't know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and Linda, she even went as far as to encourage Nikki to keep the girls away from Della. Oh, which would just make things worse. Yeah, Especially when Della has raised them from birth to age 12, and then you want them to not even have any contact with her. She's essentially like their mother. 
You would think that to make this a successful relationship that you would want to keep both parties involved. Like you would want to keep Grandma Della involved and mom. Yeah. And like start off with a co-parenting situation instead of just throw them to the wolves and hope they do okay. Yeah. And they were. That's a good way to describe it. Kind of even though Nikki was trying her best, they would have felt like they were thrown to the wolves. Yeah. Not that Nikki's a wolf, but... No, she's not. But the situation to the girls would have felt like that. Or being thrown in a lion's den type of a thing, right? When will we learn that we just need to support people? Support is so much better than judgment. Yeah. She could have fostered a relationship between everybody instead of driving a wedge. Or said, gee, mom, thanks for raising my daughter. And gee, thanks for raising my granddaughters. Yeah. What should be your retirement years? Mm -hmm. One particular night, a fight had broken out. And Nikki called the police. Officer Myra Scruggs responded to the call. Upon inspection, she said the girls looked well cared for. They were clean. The house was clean and well cared for. They had closets full of really nice clothing and appeared to have everything they needed. Jazz and Taz expressed to Scruggs that they didn't want to live with their mother. They wanted to go back to live with their grandmother. They said she had less rules. Officer Scruggs said the girls looked innocent. They were quite small. They were like five foot and five foot three. And really sweet looking. However, she could tell that Nikki was genuinely afraid of her girls. Hmm. Scruggs said, quote, The girls seemed very innocent, very sweet, but the look in Nikki's face, she was fearful of those children. She knew they worked together. What were they doing to her to make her so fearful? Like they were actually beating on her. Yeah, they had gotten into physical fights. Jazz and Tass told the officer that they were okay and were going to just go to bed and that they would visit their great-grandma in the morning. Officer Scruggs left the house but had an uneasy feeling, so she stayed close, which I thought was kind of neat. She followed her intuition. And it only took three or four minutes for her to hear screaming coming from the house. Both girls jumped on top of Nikki and started beating her. Nikki had managed to break away and called 911. But the officer was right there and was able to run back towards the house as Nikki was running out with her phone in hand. That is craziness on the part of the twins. Here an officer's just been to your house. She's not even five minutes out of the house. And then they're attacking their mom again. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, they were probably angry at her for calling the police and the police officer like she came in and had to inspect the house and talk to them. So they had enough time to cool down then. Right. And they had said to the officer, no, we're going to go to bed. We're fine. We'll go see great grandma Della tomorrow. That's crazy. But they had also expressed to this officer that they didn't want to live with their mom. But they had also said that they would go to bed and calm down. (laughs) Yeah. So I can imagine when the officer left, it was probably like. They must have went right after her. Oh, yeah. They were probably furious that she called the cops on them. So it probably ended up escalating the situation instead of diffusing it. Mm hmm. Which is often the case with family violence, is that when somebody reaches out for help, it actually escalates the violence in the home. For sure. And that's why it's so dangerous when an abused spouse leaves an abuser. Mm -hmm. The twins claimed that it was Nikki who was beating them. They're like, no, she was beating us. (laughs) That's why she called 911. I'm beating my children. Right? But the officer said it was clear that Nikki was the victim. She had scratches all over her neck and chest. The girls were totally unharmed. Nikki was hysterical, and neither of the girls showed any emotion. Any emotion. No emotion. In fact, Scruggs said, quote, talking with them, I didn't believe a thing the girls had said. You could have been two strangers, and there would have been more emotion shown. Wow. So it seems really cold and calculated. And so why is this not a huge warning to be like, 
this is not a good environment for anybody involved. Well, this one is a good warning because this incident actually lands them in juvenile court. Jazz and Taz were charged with battery and were ordered to participate in family counseling with their mother. Della was involved in the counseling as well. And from what I could gather, they apparently saw six different counselors over time. That's not great continuity of care. No, it's not. According to court records, one of the counselors said that the family seemed to thrive on chaos. Which is believable, given their history, like their generational history. For sure. And this counselor also said that all the adults had failed to take control of the situation. The girls were in and out of court, and on June 30th, 2008, custody was again granted to Della. So they're going back to live with their great-grandma. This is what they wanted, so this should solve things. Yeah, you would think. Unfortunately, this time, living with their great-grandmother would be a different story. Jazz and Taz continued with their delinquent ways. So it would be hard now because they've already gotten into this rebellious stage. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of past that point of being those straight-A honor students that they were when they originally lived with their great-grandma. They have a taste of the wild side. They were now hard to handle and more out of control to the point of Della having to deadbolt her bedroom door at night while she slept so that the girls wouldn't steal from her. And I just thought this change in the girls she raised must have been so heartbreaking for her. Yeah, that would be so hard for her to see. And they hadn't really spent that long with their mom. No. Were they into drugs at this time? Like, had they started using drugs? Nikki thought that they were and had become sexually active. Mm -hmm. That's a huge personality change in such a short amount of time to go that dramatic just because you're rebellious. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I really think that they did. Because later on, too, the girls claim that their mom was drinking and doing drugs, too. So it probably wasn't that That, hard to hide from their mom or if it's in the home. I don't know. And that's where they were calling her a hypocrite. That's right. That's what I was just going to say. So maybe that's why they were calling her a hypocrite then. I think all of it. Yeah. Right? It was a perfect storm. Mm Mm-hmm. Do as I say, not as I do. Right. And that's how the girls felt. And they're smart. So they would totally pick up on that. Yeah. And we're not saying, you know, if you drink, you should let your kids drink. That's not what we're saying. But you can see why the girls would feel that way. Mm -hmm. And they don't really view Nikki as their mom. Or any authority figure. Right. Yeah. Despite the altercation between herself and her two daughters, Nikki still wanted to regain custody. Her friends advised her against it, but she said she didn't want to give up on her kids. Yeah, but she doesn't have to have custody to have a relationship with them. Right. And it's just damaging their relationship. Mm -hmm. On January 5th, 2010, Nikki was again granted custody of Jazz and Taz. They were furious and protested the decision. Despite their resistance, the court instructed the now 16-year-old sisters to return to live with their mother for a two-week trial period. Well, they weren't doing any better in their grandma's house now either. So I can see why the judge would be like, okay, let's let mom have a go. Well, I don't know that the cops were even called, though, while they were at grandma's. Oh, okay. Right? Because they've been living with grandma and now Nikki has reapplied for custody. She's like, no, I want them back. So why does it get granted then if there's such an obvious difference? I know. And the girls are vocally protesting this. And old enough. Yeah, 16. We're not talking about six-year-olds. So the judge tried to compromise and said, okay, we'll go for a two-week trial period. And a status conference was set for later that month on January 19th. About returning to their mother's house, Della said, quote, They begged and pleaded with the judge not to send them back there. They cried and screamed. Oh, wow. So I just can't see how that judge would do it. No. It's just a recipe for disaster. And at this time, you said they were still quite wild. Yeah. Even at Della's house. Yeah. But I don't believe they ever got into a physical fight with Della or, you know, mm-hmm. there was that it, kind of abuse and toxicity was not happening. It wasn't quite as bad. Right. They were stealing from her, though. Mm-hmm. They had learned some bad habits. 
The following week, after the girls moved back in, Nikki would call the cops on her daughters three times. In one week? In one week. And my question at this point is, why the heck are they left there? This was supposed to be a trial period, and it clearly was not working. Trial over. Right. Three times in that first week that they're there. I feel like they should have been apprehended after the very first call that week, and they should have gone into care. It seems like Jazz and Taz's best interests were not fully considered, and all the shuffling around was to appease the adults in their lives. Not to put blame, but it's just so frustrating to see with hindsight the situation decline in such a horrific and deadly way. And quickly. Yeah. Like, this is a trial period. Mm -hmm. Why do you have to wait till the 19th? Yeah. You know, three times being called. I was blown away when I read that. That seems unreal. Yeah. So could you not predict that this was not going to turn out well? Like, I don't think it would have turned out in murder. But three times in one week on a trial period, they're beating her up and police are having to be called. Yeah, obviously not going well, but it's just so out of anybody's character, I would think, to murder their parent. And that's why it doesn't happen very often. No, and it doesn't. It is really rare. But I do feel like, you know, after that first call, they should have just been apprehended. Yeah. And maybe not even sent back to Della, but placed in care. Yeah. Somewhere other than this environment, because that one's not working. Right. But I don't think that anybody could have anticipated that they would murder her. No. But this is a pattern of escalation. Mm -hmm. But family court is just so hard. Mm -hmm. It's really tough when making decisions about that. Despite Nikki desperately wanting to reconcile, she would not make it through the trial period alive. She would be brutally murdered just eight days later after having them back in her home. Now let's return to the day of the murder, January 13th, 2010. To quickly recap... Taz and Jazz flagged down a passing police car in a frenzy, screaming about having just found their mother viciously murdered. The police find their mother stabbed to death in the tub. The crime scene overwhelmingly smells of blood and is one of the worst the local law enforcement had ever come across up to that point. And the girls are taken to the police station to give their statements. So that's where we're going to pick back up. They're very dramatic statements. Yes, they are. <laughs> Lieutenant Moon said, quote, We were treating them as victims. Witnesses who had come home and found their mother dead. That makes sense because that's what you would think. Yeah. They were so hysterical when they flagged her down. And like I said, I was able to watch the tapes of the interrogation and these two girls put on quite the performance. I'll walk you through what happens and why the police turn from having empathy for the dirtbag sisters to raising their eyebrows and questioning their statements. The girls say that they came home from school to find their mother dead and describe the bloody scene. Taz said she heard Jazz scream and then saw blood all over the floor. She said, quote, I looked and there was blood in front of the door like a line of blood, like someone had dragged her in there like it's on TV. This was true, as there were in fact bloody drag marks that went from the living room into the master bedroom and then into the master bathroom. They dragged her around the house? Yes. This was a fight to the death. And I don't think that I would make that connection. Because they're getting interviewed like right after. And so I would still be on the there's blood everywhere stage. Yeah. Like it's not like they've had time to process and think about, oh, this is what this could mean. Well, they knew what caused it. So they're saying, you know, oh, there's a line of blood like they had been dragged like we see on TV. That's the only way that we would know is because we see that on TV. Right. But I can see how this police are already like suspicious. Yeah. Because you would not even be processing it like that. Yeah. The specifics of the crime scene. You would just say blood was everywhere. That's right. Jazz admitted to touching her mother's lifeless body. She said, quote, I went into her room and saw blood all over the floor, and I went in there and I seen her and I touched her. The killer duo are acting totally distraught. They are comforting one another. They're hugging and crying and saying things like, quote, she's not coming back and I want my mommy. 
They didn't want her a week ago when they were beating her up. I know. Taz says to her sister, you've got to be strong. I'm going to make sure they find the person who did it. Here I am. Yeah. All along knowing exactly what they had done. And what is extra disturbing is that some of the time they're talking in baby voices, totally trying to manipulate the officers. It's actually sickening to watch. Like that just irks me when people are talking really baby and that fake crying. Oh, and meanwhile, they're sneaking out of the house with their however old boyfriend. Right. Doing drugs, partying, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm a baby. The Whitehead sisters tell police that they missed the bus that morning for school. And so they walked to school, making them a few minutes late. When police questioned why they walked all the way there, they said it wasn't that far. They said they hadn't seen their mother that morning because she locks her room at night. But they tell the officers that they wish they had been there and could have saved her. The police are not aware right at this moment either of all those domestic disturbances. Right. right? They've just found these two girls on the road. Yeah, they're not aware of all this history yet. They tell police that their mom would answer the door to anybody and could have been high at the time of the murder. Oh, they're throwing their mom under the bus? They really do. Or is that really what happened? Was she high a lot still? She could have been. They claim that. I'm not sure if she totally had gotten rid of all that. Okay. Police started to notice that the girls were crying, but that there weren't any real tears from either of them. And when asked to describe their mother, they were both very insulting, which seems like an unusual response if your loved one was just murdered. Yeah. So they're starting to raise their eyebrows here a little bit. (laughs) This isn't quite adding up. No. And they could tell they were fake crying. Mm -hmm. When police ask if they know anything about what happened, they say no. Taz does admit during the questioning, though, that she had wished her mother dead. She said, quote, I told her that I wish she were dead and she really did die. I told her that plenty of times and she never died. That's crazy like that. I ain't never killed nobody. Like, it's just funny. They think they're going to pull the wool over these seasoned officers' eyes. I ain't never killed nobody. I ain't never killed nobody. (laughs) Good, because we were wondering that of a 16-year-old, sweet, innocent, tiny little girl. (laughs) Thanks for clearing that up, Taz. Yep. High five for you. You get a gold star. You ain't never murdered anybody. (laughs) You just wished it on somebody. Yeah. When police probe a little more at this statement, Jazz starts to get defensive. So Jazz is starting to defend her sister because it was Taz who had said it. (laughs) She ain't never killed nobody. And Jazz is going to jump right in there and say, yeah, she ain't never killed nobody. (laughs) That's right. And I know because I'm her twin. (laughs) And they were inseparable. They were always together. But they could start to see the girls starting to protect one another as well. So did they have that weird twin vibe? They do. Mm. Yeah. Sorry for any twins out there. There's a connection, though, between twins. Oh, there absolutely is. Yeah. They talk about that later, too, like after the crime, how they didn't even have to say too much to each other, just kind of knew what to do. They also noticed that both girls were wearing gloves and requested that they remove them. When they did, police could see that both had cuts and what looked like bite marks on their hands and arms. Okay, this is in Georgia, right? Yeah. In the summer? No, January. I thought you said June. And I was like, what the heck are they doing with gloves on their hands? (laughs) And why did nobody notice before this? No, it was January. So it wasn't weird that they came in with gloves gloves on. But but they hadn't taken them off. Right. They had been questioning them for some time and they still hadn't taken them off. So that's when they asked them to remove them. Because even when you first come into a room, Hmm. sometimes you'll leave on your scarf or your mitts or something if you're cold. I don't know how cold it gets in Georgia, though. Let's look that up. Now, we will have to remember that we are Canadian and probably they're a little bit more sensitive to the cold than we are. That's true. 53 to 39. So an average low temperature of minus 2.4. 
It's their coldest month. Oh, so that's like, that's Chinook <laughs> weather for us. <laughs> that's what I said. We all have to be mindful that we might not have the same cold tolerances. That's true. Because that's a balmy winter day for us. <laughs> it is chilly, though. And you can see why maybe they would have their gloves yeah. on. Yeah. And that's their coldest month. Okay. But they kept them on. They did. And they had it on, not because it was cold. They were wanting to hide all that mm-hmm. evidence. This is why it took the police so long to notice right. that they hadn't taken yeah. their gloves off. Yeah, because it wasn't June Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when it was warm. <laughs> police give them clothes to change into and take the clothes that they were wearing as evidence. The girls said they were the clothes that they had worn to school that day. Police told them that they just had to apprehend the clothing since they were at the crime scene. When a detective asked Jazz what happened to her hands, she replied by saying she had gotten into a fight. When questioned with who... She said with her sister. Oh, that conveniently explains Taz's hands then as well. Yes. She just conveniently left out the part about her and her sister fighting to the death against their mother. (laughs) When the police asked them if there was anything that they could do for them, they gave the most bizarre and incriminating answer ever. Any guesses what they asked for? A lawyer? No. (laughs) Did they want to call their grandma? No. Because those are logical things that I think I would be asking for. I don't think you'd ever guess this. Did they ask to have a shower? No. I'll give you 20 bucks right now if you can guess. (laughs) Um, Did they want to see crime scene photos? No, but you're close. (laughs) (laughs) You were so close. They wanted to see the body. (laughs) They had seen the body. (laughs) The twins, after claiming they had discovered their mother's murdered body, asked the police if they could watch CSI, which, if you're not familiar, is a TV show about crime scene investigations. (laughs) That is bizarre. Isn't that bizarre? You are not wanting anywhere near that. If this had been a traumatic situation for them, there's no way that you would want to bring up any sort of memories about anything about crime scenes. Right? I mean, I would hope if our kids came home and found us murdered, they wouldn't be like, can we watch CSI? Red flag. (laughs) They just wanted to know what happened next. Yeah, really is what it was. Detective Swift said, quote, These two girls were hugging each other and in each other's arms. And when I said, what can I do to make this easier for you? They said, can we watch CSI? And immediately the hairs on the back of my neck stood straight up. Essentially, it was right then that it was like, okay, this is something was very off. No wonder the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. For sure. Yeah, it would just be such an odd thing Mm -hmm. to have happen. At this point, the police knew that they had to separate the twins. And this made the girls very uncomfortable. You can hear them talking throughout the recordings. You know, where's my sister? I want to be with my sister. Like, they're very uncomfortable to be separated. Had they ever been separated before? Probably momentarily, but not really. Because they seem very codependent. They are. And I think during this upheaval time in their lives, they probably felt like they only had each other. Mm -hmm. Being in separate rooms, you can see both girls noticing the police cameras and then they start to rev up their performances. So you can actually see them like look up at the camera and then start changing their behavior even more so. Taz starts to rock back and forth a bit and talks out loud. Things like, I can't eat. Mom is dead. Stupid scratch. They're going to blame this whole thing on me because of a stupid scratch. And then she started to pray out loud, please, God, I really want them to catch this person. So she's trying to look like she's so distraught. The girls tried to explain the bite marks by saying it was a nervous habit that they both had, that when they were upset, they would bite themselves. Jazz tried to prove this when it looked like she was alone, but she knew the camera was watching. She began biting her own hand and arm. 
And reportedly, she had bitten her own arm while being transported to the police headquarters as well. They believed in attempts to cover up her mother's teeth marks that were left on her arm. Oh, gross. So she was biting over the bite marks of her mom. Yes. You would pick that up on impressions. Oh, for sure. But when the people transporting her asked about it, she's like, oh, I do it when I'm nervous. Jazz and Taz continued to tell lies in an attempt to get away with murder. But police were now motivated to look further into their stories. They were released that night and sent to stay with Della. It would take authorities four months to compile enough evidence against the twins to make arrests. They wanted to make sure it would stick. Poor Della. I know. Poor Della. She's still locking her door, hopefully. Police were able to find the multitude of 911 calls that Nikki made and began to examine the long history of domestic violence committed by Jazz and Taz towards their mother. They recovered a handwritten letter that Jazz had sent to her boyfriend that said, quote, I just hate living here, being with her. When police pulled surveillance tape to see if the girls were telling the truth about walking to school, they discovered that the girls walked to a gas station and then hitched a ride with a stranger. They arrived at school two hours late, not just a few minutes like the girls originally stated. So had it taken them that long to walk and hitch a ride? Or had they been at the home for two hours killing their mom, leaving her in the bathtub to suck? Yeah, they were killing their mom. Okay, so you got to tell me, what brought on the fight? Well, like, I'm going to tell you. switch? I'm going to tell you. But I was going to say about this part, you know, there's surveillance cameras and about them going to school, because there's even cameras of them walking into the school. And it just reminded me that we're talking about 16-year-old girls here, Nazis and serial killers. And they obviously didn't give it much forethought about the story that they had concocted. It would be so easy for police to discredit this part of their story. But that's what they went with. So then the murder wasn't pre-planned. I don't think necessarily that it was, but it was maybe in the works and brewing. Police checked other suspects as well. And I felt like there was really good police work in this case. They looked into the girls' father, but he lived in Canada and was there at the time of the incident, so that cleared him. The girls had also notified the police originally so in their first interview, Mm -hmm. that their mom was in a love triangle. They said she was living with Robert, but also had a second boyfriend named Joe. Ooh, love triangles can be dangerous. Yeah, you just taught us that last (laughs) week. (laughs) They told police that Robert had caught Nikki talking to Joe on the phone, and he had confronted her about it. It sounds like she may have had a second boyfriend, but that part is not really relevant. It seems like the girls were just trying to shed suspicion elsewhere. Police did not ultimately indicate Robert or Joe as suspects. They were cleared after DNA testing. So again, you're working with 16-year-olds that aren't thinking things through. When police examined the crime scene, they found a pair of brown boots with a significant amount of blood on them, tucked away in a shoebox. They also found a clump of hair that appeared to have been ripped from the head and was wrapped in a napkin and then stuffed inside the toe of a shoe. And I thought that is a really thorough search. Wow. Like they're looking inside the shoes? Yeah. Like putting their hand right up into the toes of them? Like isn't that thorough? Because a house with three girls living in it, there would be a lot of shoes. Yeah, that is interesting. And they were well cared for. Like they had closets full of clothes. They also made note that there was no sign of forced entry, indicating that the killer must have known the victim. Police were able to find a notebook or journal in the house that suggested the twins may have been planning on killing their mother for quite some time. What was in the notebook? They would write back and forth to one another in this notebook saying how much they hated their mom and that if they didn't get rid of her soon, they might not be able to. So they weren't going right out and saying, let's kill mom. And I don't know why they were writing back and forth in this, but like we need to get rid of her. Why wouldn't they just talk? I don't know. Use their twin telepathy. Right. The teeth marks on Taz's arm matched up with Nikki's dental records. 
And when her autopsy was performed, the coroner found human hair between Nikki's teeth. Oh, gross. Proving that she had fought back. They figured that the twin had reached around from behind her mother to put her in a chokehold. And when she bit her daughter's arm, hair from her arm embedded in her teeth. Oh, gross. All the things we talk about and you're going to get grossed out by an arm hair. <laughs> we all have different things that we're grossed out about. But that is a way that Nikki was able to yeah. tell her story of what happened. Mm-hmm. Right? You do fight. You get all that hair in your teeth if yeah. someone's attacking you. Take all the evidence with you that you can. That's right. Unfortunately, with the girls being identical twins, that meant their DNA was identical as well. And so it was impossible for the police to connect some evidence to one twin in particular. But are they going to actually throw the other one under the bus? No, they don't. It just caused a challenge for the police officers, right? It's not so cut and dry where if they were sisters separated by a couple of years. That makes sense. Yeah. The autopsy also showed that Nikki had been stabbed a total of 80 times. Whoa. With a kitchen knife. That is a lot of times. 80. With the same knife? Yep. One knife. Did they take turns? They did. Oh. Her stab wounds were so bad that her spinal cord was almost completely severed. This was a personal and rageful killing. So was she in a fetal position while they were stabbing her because they got her back? Well, when I start to read through their actual confessions, they were everywhere. And I do think I know maybe the time that this part happens. Okay. Which I can point out when we get there. But it was a fight through the whole house. It wasn't just a one and done. Like those 80 stab wounds were not consecutively given one right after the other. So they would stab her a little bit, let her run, and then stab her some more? She fought. Okay. She fought to her death. Mm. And so, yeah, she would fight and then... Get away and then... Yeah. And that's why there was blood everywhere. So what were the drag marks? Her dragging herself away or them dragging her? Them dragging her. And we'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) Wait a minute. This was me with your last case, too. I was like, I just have so many questions and I just want to (laughs) know. During the four months that it took for the police to compile enough incriminating evidence, Jazz and Taz just carried on with life like normal. They seemed happy, they hung out with friends, and they even attended a school graduation celebration. And you can see pictures of them online, all dressed up and smiling for the picture. And this is just months after they've murdered their mom. Did they pretend to be sad at all that their mom was gone? Well, I can't say for sure if they did, and I didn't put this in here, but Linda, she had said about how at their mother's funeral, they wouldn't even walk up to the casket. So they just seemed very disinterested. Disinterested or not wanting to see your handiwork or... She made it sound more malicious. Okay. In May of 2010, on the last day of school before summer break, police made their move and finally arrested Tasmaya and Jasmaya Whitehead. They wanted to act before the girls had the chance to take off for the summer. They were worried that maybe they'd take off and not come back. They were headed for Canada. Yeah, probably. Everybody heads to Canada. (laughs) That's right. We don't want you. (laughs) Go somewhere else. No dirt bags allowed. That's what it should say at our border crossings. Right. <laughs> we grow enough of our own. That's right. We do. I feel like we don't have, well, we obviously don't have as many, but the ones that we have are bad. Oh, they're so bad. Yeah. Yeah. They picked up Taz from home and then apprehended Jazz from school. Both girls were charged with felony murder and aggravated assault in the death of their mother, Jarmeka or Nikki Whitehead. If it went to trial, they would be charged as adults. And which they should be. They're making big girl decisions. They should be charged as big girls. Yeah, at 16, I agree. The detectives were super sneaky and stealthy. Like I said, I'm so impressed with the detective work in this. 
They decided to hide a microphone in the back of the cop car before picking up the girls in hopes of catching them saying something incriminating. Oh, and they'll purposely leave them in there for longer periods of time. They absolutely oh. did. And this is likely why they arrested them together. That is awesome. Because normally you would send two cop cars, right? Yeah. To pick them both up so that they could pick them up at the same time so one couldn't warn the other. And usually you keep suspects separated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're like, nope, let's pick these girls up together. <laughs> and they totally rigged up the back with microphones. That is awesome. Yeah. Good job, please. Good job, Georgia. I listen to the recording and the girls are clearly frustrated and become angry and start talking smack like they are the baddest queen bees around. Oh, really? Yeah. It's not funny, but it is comical because it's just that juvenile attitude, yeah. right? They think that they're untouchable. Yeah. They talk about how they're not going down for something they didn't do. They talk about how terrible the evidence is against them and almost taunt the police when Taz says, quote, the day you find a murder weapon with my fingerprints on it or something, please do that. Please find a murder weapon and then it'll be different for real. Okay. Yeah. This is probably not what the police thought they were going to capture on tape. No. And they were talking about like the dang bite marks. Like we're going to go down because of stupid bite marks. Like get real. Like, you know, they're just totally putting down the police while they're talking about it. At one point, the cops are outside talking to other officers, and this is where they're making them wait, right? You can see in the video the officers outside, and the girls start getting impatient and mock the cops. Jazz says, quote, what the F are we waiting for? And Taz responds with, quote, they have an F in coffee and donuts and having a jolly old time. They don't care. She also yells out, quote, read my rights, mother effer. So it didn't work. Like, they're not incriminating themselves, but they're, like, angry and, like, lashing out. And that was only a small little snippet of what they were saying. They don't like authority figures. It's very clear. Yeah. Like I was thinking when I was 16, if I was sitting in the back of a cop car because I had just murdered my mom. (laughs) Sorry, mom. I would never do that. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) But if I was in the back seat, I would literally be peeing my pants. Like I would not be, read me my rights, mother ever. Like I would never. That is pretty brazen. Yeah. Cut from two different cloths. I would probably be crying and like, well, I'm going to jail forever. It's all over for me. Right? Yeah. Confessing. Yeah. I'd be like, it was her. (laughs) Sorry, sister, for throwing you under the bus. Yeah. It was just surprising to me how they were acting. Surprising, but not at the same time, right? The two girls were sent to separate jails to await their trial. It took four years to sit in their rooms and think about what they had done before they would finally come clean about their actions. That's a long time out. It was. Taz and Jazz agreed to a plea deal to avoid a trial. As part of the agreement, they gave a detailed account of what really happened that chilling night. I was able to find the transcripts of their confessions, and it is so chilling to read. I'll give you the shorthand account because it is pages long. I'll also be going more so off of Jazz's confession as it is more coherent. Taz claims that her memories come in snippets. Oh, so she was in a state then. She eh? might have been, if she's being truthful, because hers is much harder to understand and follow, where Jazz gives a pretty coherent, sequential account of what happened. Okay, so back to that morning. We have revisited this morning three times, Christy. We have. Well, and actually, I lied. We're going to start the night before. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. The girls had stayed up the night before the grisly murder until two or three in the morning. They said their mother was drunk and possibly high that night and was acting all paranoid and picking fights with them. So they went to bed angry. And they said she did this often. 
They went to bed at two o'clock angry. Between two or three in the morning. They had been out really late. They okay. came home. They said mom was drunk and high. Agitated. And, yeah. And then she would be like, check under the bed, check under the bed. Like she would do all these like weird things. Like she would get super paranoid and she was annoying them. And so she was kind of picking fights with the girls is what they were saying. So they were angry already when they went to bed. Okay. Consequently, the next morning, they did not want to get up and go to school. Nikki tried to get them up and wasn't taking no for an answer, which is understandable. If your teenage children make a choice to stay out late on a school night, most parents would feel that having to get up, even if you're tired the next day for school, would be a fitting consequence. Yeah, that's allowing natural consequences. That's right. But the girls weren't having it. Remember, the cops had been called three times already that week, and they had protested having to go back and live with their mom. So tensions must have already been really high. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at this point, they just weren't listening to anything Nikki was saying. And probably purposely aggravating her, too. Right. They were all standing in the kitchen. This is where it starts. The girls were wearing tank tops and shorts while Nikki was in her nightgown. And I don't know why I included that in there, but that little detail stuck out to me for some reason. That they're dress matching. So it's like two against one. (laughs) Yeah. And even like what they're wearing, they could move around and fight in that much easier than their mom in a nightgown. Oh, a nightgown. Oh, I never thought about it. Yeah. Nikki was yelling at the girls that they were going to live by her rules and began calling them degrading names. The twins claimed that their mother then picked up a pot that was sitting on the stove and started to smack them with it. Everyone was screaming at each other at this point. Taz managed to knock the pot out of Nikki's hand. Nikki then grabbed a nearby kitchen knife and yelled at her daughters to get back. She was jabbing at both of them. She's fearful. So she's scared, yes. Taz sustained cuts on her hands trying to get the knife away from her mother. Jazz admitted to hitting her mom in the head with the pot. They raced around the kitchen dinette and then the struggle moves into the living room. Nikki manages to get on top of Taz and starts trying to strangle her. Jazz grabs a bright red vase and smashes it over Nikki. She sat on the head, neck, shoulder blade area, making her bleed. Okay, so why couldn't they find Taz's blood in the kitchen if she was cut trying to grab the knife? They do find it all over. They just can't tell which girl's is which. Oh, okay. So Nikki had gotten on top of Taz and Jazz smacks her on the back of the head with the vase and knocking her over. Nikki is stunned for a moment, giving Jazz the opportunity to climb on top of her. Nikki manages to bite her in the neck. Meanwhile, Taz picks up the kitchen knife. In this part of the struggle, Nikki bit onto Jazz's chest and wouldn't let go. Jazz tries to punch Nikki off of her, but it's not working. She said her mom was stronger than them. This is when Taz would inflict the first of 80 stab wounds. So again, she's trying to help her sister, right? Because she's biting onto her and so she stabs her. So she's protecting her sister. Nikki is fighting for her life at this point and manages to get to the couch. This is where I think she could have been stabbed in the back, right? Mm. She bites Jazz on the hand, drawing blood, and Taz continues to stab her. Next, Jazz grabs a medallion that one of them had won as a child and attempts to choke her mother with the ribbon. And I was like, um, what? Like, this is from your childhood, this medallion you've won, and you use that to try and choke your mom? Fighting for her life, Nikki delivered a backhand blow that caught Jazz by surprise. Adrenaline can make you strong. Oh, for sure. Jazz said, quote, So I think I was stunned. Then I picked up the knife, and I think I stabbed her, but they wasn't cuts, like they wasn't deep, because I couldn't bring myself to do it. She did stab her multiple times. And I'm calling BS, because remember that between the two of them, Nikki had 80 stab wounds, and her spinal cord was nearly completely severed. This doesn't sound like Nikki was attacked by timid little girls. Yeah, I just shoved a knife in my mom, but they weren't cuts. 
The three were able to untangle themselves from one another, and as the twins were trying to process what had just happened, Nikki managed to get away. She made a run for it. She made it all the way to the neighbor's house. What? Yep. But the girls overtook her and drug her back into their house. How many times has she been stabbed already? And I she's know. still up running? She does. She, like I said, what, one what, tough cookie, this lady. What was the size of the knife? Like a steak knife, like an eight inch. So eight inches knife. goes pretty deep. Yeah. When interviewed, the neighbor admitted to hearing the doorbell and someone screaming. But because it was so early in the morning and he was still in bed, he unfortunately just ignored it. Oh, that's too bad. Can you imagine finding out later afterwards what had happened? That you could have saved somebody? Yeah. So where did she go next? Well, the girls drag her back into the house. So didn't they find drag marks outside the house as well? They do find blood outside the house. Yeah. And over at the neighbors as well. Oh. Yeah. After stabbing their mother, beating, choking, biting, and screaming, Taz grabbed their mother by the hands and Jazz grabbed her by the feet and the two drug her to the bathtub that they had filled with water and put her in. Taz made a comment about how heavy her mom was. Like this was hard work. So this was after she was like unconscious and not fighting back again? No, she's still conscious. Oh. Yeah, but she's slowing down now. Are they thinking they're going to drown her now? Like, why the tub? Well, they did talk in their confession about their mom talking about being really cold. So they put warm water in the tub and put her in there. That's what they're saying. Okay. They don't try to drown her. It's just a bizarre thing. It is. You stabbed her 80 times and now you're going to try and make her comfortable? Like, it's remorseful now? I don't really think it is, to be honest. And I'm not sure why they put her in there. Maybe it was to contain the blood. I don't know. Once in the tub, Taz said, quote, I guess she's on the verge of dying now. There's a lot of blood. She's missing some of her braids. She has braids like mine, but it was weave. I guess we pulled her hair and a braid came out. I'm missing hair. We all missing hair. And she just got a whole bunch of cuts on her and her head's bleeding. And I guess from the vase. And she's just bleeding everywhere all over the floor. So maybe it was to contain the blood. Yeah. Nikki lay in the tub, slowly dying, talking to her girls. And I just can't even imagine what was going through Nikki's mind. Like begging them to take her to the hospital, maybe? Well, that's not what they claim. And I don't know how truthful they are. But when asked what her mother said, Jazz said, quote, that she hates us. She hates us. I guess the same thing. We're going to jail. We're going to jail. So they're making it sound like she's just angry right to the very last moment. Like, I hate you girls. You're going to jail. Well, I think I might be telling my killer the same thing. Yeah. It's definitely not a loving goodbye. That's for sure. But if you've just been tag teamed basically by your two kids. Yep. You might not be like, I actually love you. Yeah. When asked what she said to her mother in return, Jazz said, quote, I'm sorry. I told her I was sorry. Not just sorry for things, but for everything that we couldn't get along and stuff. The girl said that Nikki went under a few times and then that was it. Jazz and Taz claimed that they were in shock. They said they cried for a long time and couldn't believe what they had done. They discussed what to do next, but didn't know if they should call the police, go to school or go get a neighbor for help. They didn't really verbalize their plan. They said it was just a twin thing to know what to do. And so what time of the morning is this? Like seven in the morning. Okay. And that's why the neighbor was still in bed. It's early because she's trying to get them up for school. So they could still make it to school in time at this time. Well, I think this took a little bit of time. Mm. The girls made an attempt at cleaning the crime scene. They showered and put their bloody clothes in the washing machine. However, it did not take long for them to decide it was nearly impossible to clean up that much blood. Yeah. They had even poured like a whole bottle of detergent on the carpet. Like they were trying, but then was like, no, this isn't going to work. Instead, they decided that they would go to school. 
First, they collected a few items of evidence, including the kitchen knife, and put them into a plastic bag. This evidence was never found. Oh, did they ever say where they hid it? They did. Okay. They walked to the gas station, threw the bag of evidence into a dumpster along the way, hitched a ride to school, and then just carried about their day like everything was fine. I was going to ask you, did they appear normal on all the surveillance tapes that they were seen on? Yep. They're just casually walking to school. They can see them hitch a ride. They can see them entering the school. Yeah, Hmm. just like they were, oh, we overslept. Yep. Jasmine has admitted that when they got home from school, they were expecting to see the police and their mother already taken from the home. Apparently, re-entering the house and seeing what they had done was totally shocking for them. And it must have looked way worse walking in with fresh eyes afterwards. In a calmer state. Yeah. And that's just that naivety too, right? Like, oh, they're going to find her. Mm-hmm. And then, as luck would have it, they spotted the police car and rushed out for help. About the twins' confession, Officer Dunn said, quote, I'm sure that their confession was self-interested. They were looking out for themselves and had been coached by attorneys, and they said enough to live up to their part of the plea. So he's not thinking we're getting the full story. Mm-hmm. The girls claimed that they wished they hadn't killed their mother. Taz said, quote, Just really wish it didn't happen like that, and I wish I could have solved something. I do. I wish. Sorry. It was just confusion and turmoil, and it never stopped. Hmm. Jazz said, quote, My state of mind at that time was defend yourself. It wasn't like it was a fight on the street. It was more a fight until somebody dies. I wasn't going to go to the police because we were already having trouble with them. Through all these years and all that trouble, they always believed her. It was never us getting believed. I didn't have no faith in y'all, in the system. So I guess we believed we had to protect ourselves the best way we knew how. If I could do it all over again, I guess I would have called the police, or I would definitely give my life for hers. I'm sorry, and I miss her. It's not how y'all are trying to make it seem. I didn't hate her, and Taz didn't hate her either. I guess it was just the heat of the moment and the anger between all three of us. Hmm. Seems very self-reflective. So, like, it seems more mature. It does. And they have matured now, right? Mm -hmm. They sat in jail for four years, so now they're in their 20s. Taz pled guilty before the court in January of 2014 to the charges of voluntary manslaughter, making false statements, and possession of a knife during a crime. I have to laugh at some of these charges. I know. She was stabbed 80 times and they're going to charge her with possession of a knife. Yep. Uh, duh. <laughs> uh, you mean you almost severed her spinal cord? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> like that does not give you an accurate description of what the crime was. No, it doesn't. Possession of a knife during a crime. Right. 80 stab wounds. <laughs> and this is such different charges from what they were charged with. Mm-hmm. But it was their way of getting their plea bargain. She was sentenced to serve 30 years... At Arendelle State Prison. When is she eligible for parole? I'll tell you. Okay. You think I'm not going to tell you? (laughs) That's the more important thing because they can sentence people to whatever. But I I will. But you have to remember there's twins. There's two. I got to tell you about the other one. (laughs) So Taz pled guilty in January. And the following month in February of 2014, Jazz pled guilty to the same charges and was also given a 30-year sentence. But she was sent to Pulaski State Prison. The twins had never been apart before the murder, and separating them was like an extra punishment for them. Yeah, and they've been separated for the last four years, too, before their sentencing. Yeah. They were hoping, though, that they could be sent to the same prison, and have asked for that since. Mm. And hopefully not granted. No. They're dangerous together. They are dangerous together, yeah. They've not been granted that, still to this day. They were up for parole in 2017, but it was denied. Prosecutors feel that they still don't have the full story but are confident that the Whitehead sisters will serve their full prison sentences. 
If they do serve their entire sentences, they'll remain incarcerated until the year 2040, which should make them around 47 years old, if I did my math right, which is still time to have some sort of life. Yeah. So in three years, they were eligible for parole? They were. And I'm not sure when their next parole hearing is or if they've had one, but I couldn't find any documents saying that they had had one since then. Jazz and Taz both graduated high school inside prison. Jazz was even the class valedictorian. Taz took computer tech courses and Jazz was taking classes in the medical field. I'm not sure if either obtained any type of degree, but it seems likely. But it does kind of speak to they did have that capability Mm -hmm. to do well in life. And hopefully they'll be ready for release when they get out. Right. So that's the reform part of the justice system. Right. At least they just weren't sitting idly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. Again, it speaks to the reform of the system. It does. Yeah. Their great-grandmother, Della, is still there for the girls. She would visit them in prison frequently when they were younger. She writes letters and even provides them with money and items they need. Wow. That is impressive. It is. There's some support in your corner. Because that was her granddaughter that they killed. It was. Della said, quote, I see in them what I've always seen. They were always loving and wanted to excel in what they did. My heart bleeds for their mom and for them. I can't bring Nikki back, but I can hope and pray that God will help them be productive. Yeah, that's a good perspective. It is. Because you can't take it back. You can't can't undo it. And so at least if they could be productive and make something of themselves, it might make it a little bit better. Yeah. And she's remembering those girls that she raised for those Mm -hmm. first 12 years. And that is the story of two pretty little liars who came from multi-generations of dysfunction, yet started out excelling in life only to end up murdering their own mother Twin Terror Dirtbags, The Gruesome Twosome, Jasmiah and Tasmiah Whitehead. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. What a crazy case. Yeah. Double trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Just think if you have troubles with like one kid, let alone like two. And I think it's just a testament of how important the role of a mother is in the home. That is true. That's too bad to actually go from that extreme of being like a straight A student and being successful and headed to Harvard and then you end up in prison. Yeah, spending the prime years of your life for 30 years in prison if they end up staying there that long. Mm -hmm. Which do you think they will? The one statement from the officer said he's confident that they will, but it's hard to say because... It doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And when they're 16, you know, and they are being productive in prison... I feel like there would be a chance that they would get out. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a case that they could make that those were teenage brains that made those decisions. We've matured now. Look at we're going to be productive society members. And yeah, we were under duress being moved around. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking, though, because they won't get out until they're 47. If they stay the whole time, there's a good chance they'll never be mothers. Oh, that's true. So that could stop this generational break the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Della did have other children, but I didn't see that there was problems with her other daughter or her son. Yeah. And just because you have that generational trend doesn't mean that you're destined for that life, right? Right. Like you can break that cycle. Yeah. And it Mm -hmm. seemed to just flow through through the women in their family tree. That's why we need strong mothers. That's right. So with that being said, we hope all you moms out there have a really wonderful Mother's Day. But join us again next week. See ya. Bye. Is this voice okay, Christy? Can I use this voice? What about this voice?
It was the bloodiest scene I've ever, ever, I've ever, ever, I had an extra ever. Uh, maybe that's what he did say. <laughs> maybe. He just wanted to emphasize that it was a lot. <laughs> Sorry, I just needed to take a breath. Oh, I was like, <laughs> do you need the word? Zen, as we talk about murder. Yeah, I have opinions about that, but we won't yeah. air that. <laughs> I thought another one. <laughs> How many lemon seeds are in there? Why would I get them both? Is that your Pepsi in lemon? No, it's water. Oh. My Pepsi's gone. Christy needs Pepsi to keep her awake. I do. <laughs> you coming... think happy thoughts. I'm thinking like, somebody's being murdered, murdered outside. And here we are joking about it. <laughs> and then it'll be on our podcast. January 13th, 2020. 2010. Oh my gosh, what am I with my numbers? <laughs> and what looked like bark bark mics. <laughs> bark mics. What's a bark mite? <laughs> that could be some kind of like weird bug. So drugs do to your brains, people. And I just wanted to like, well, I'm not going to promote violence, but <laughs> <laughs> was that rude to say? If I was dueling to the death, that's what I'd want to wear. <laughs> the girls made an made an attempt to the girls made an attempt. There's three A words all together. Are you being serious? Yeah. Okay. I just can tell by your face expression. We love Della. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I thought Melissa's going to laugh when I put this in here. Because I knew exactly what you'd say. Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.